Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, March 28th, 2016. Yeah, the marathon that is uh, the end of Holy Week for pastors, at least in Lutheran Church. Glad the marathon's over. There were no water stations, though. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We actually take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and do the comparative work. Yeah, that's right. We test to see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, whose... Um, small group curriculums we need to be studying instead of the Word of God to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's Word says or to see if they're twisting God's Word and generally teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to be teaching. And by shameful gain, we could be talking about money, we could be talking about power and influence and other things like that. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. This is the uh, the day after Easter. And this is now the time for you to start sending me your submissions for next week's annual contest. That's right. We have a contest once a year. And it always comes after, not the week after, but the week after the week after Easter. And uh, the uh, the contest is the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. And the idea is that, well, um, see, there's a couple of times a year. If you really want to know uh, what someone's theology is all about, at least from a pastoral point of view, what they preach about on Easter Sunday is going to tell you a lot. And I mean a lot. And uh, over and again, we've demonstrated that here at Fighting for the Faith using our worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. And um, we've had some illustrious winners of our contest, uh, including uh, Rob Bell, Joel Osteen, and others. And uh, in, in fact, the uh, the <clears throat> the head of the Episcopal Church for many years, uh, Catherine Jefford Shorey, she won last year with a very yeasty... <laughs> Easter sermon. And uh, so here's the idea is, is that if you know of or were exposed to 
a Easter sermon that wasn't about Christ and him crucified and resurrected for your sins. And by the way, there's several good themes that you can pick up on, uh, you know, as far as what's going on in Easter. Uh, yesterday, the lectionary, uh, I actually preached my Easter text on Isaiah 65, and you're, you're going to hear that sermon today, um, which is you know, talking about how because Christ is raised from the dead, um, what our eschatological hope is, which is a really important theme that's connected, well connected to uh, the uh, the resurrection of Christ, the bodily resurrection. So, um, but uh, you, if you're going to get things like, yeah, Jesus rose from the grave so that you can, <laughs> so that you can have hope, you know, live in your heart, or because he was showing you that he wants to resurrect your dead dreams, or some schmaltzy, self-centered, bizarre. Uh, preaching of uh, of you know the Easter message, you know if you think that that person needs to you know be considered as a contestant for our 2016 worst Easter sermon of the year contest, well then please email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com and you have to put in the uh, you know in the subject line worst Easter sermon contestant. Just write worst Easter sermon contestant in the subject line so that I can flag those. And yes, we do preview every single submission. And don't think that just because the contest has begun that you can't submit uh, you know, somebody to be considered for the contest. I think the cutoff that we've had in the past has been like Wednesday, even as late as Thursday. You know, We've had some open slots. And next week... Next week, every single sermon review will in, be part of our Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. We may review more than one sermon for, you know, for your consideration on any given day. So we've had like five, six, seven different contestants you know, every year. And then you, the listening audience of Fighting for the Faith, it, you vote to decide who wins the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest. The winner of the contest will receive correspondence from Pirate Christian Media and uh, Fighting for the Faith, and they will receive a copy of Michael Horton's book, Christless Christianity, and 30 pieces of <clears throat> pirate silver. Yeah, you kind of get the idea. So uh, that's how that works. So you know, if, you, if you were at a church yesterday, someone drug you to a church, and you thought, oh my goodness, this was the worst, most abysmal Easter sermon I've ever heard in my entire life. Well, send us the link, and we will consider that for the um, for the contest. Or if you know of some local seeker-driven mega church, you know church plant that you know you don't know what they're doing with the uh, the Bible, but it seems like every time the pastor opens up the scripture, you know <laughs> Christ and Him crucified and raised again from the grave bodily just doesn't seem to be on their list. Um, yeah, especially on Easter, that, you know, you, you again, you're going to know a lot about whether or not you should be at a church or not based upon what they preach on Easter. I'm just saying, just saying. So uh, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. A uh, reminder here, and that is is that uh, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, unless explicitly stated otherwise or to the contrary, has a theme. Today's episode of Fighting for the Faith does not under any circumstances, have a theme. In fact, I think it's going to be tough to theme things because generally, and I mean this, generally, 
from the first segment all the way through the sermon review, I usually have all of the horses pulling together in one direction. And uh, because this week, the week after Easter, all of the sermons we will be listening to in the second hour of Fighting for the Faith are going to be good Easter sermons. Mm -hmm. Because that's the case, theming episodes of Fighting for the Faith this week yeah, it's just going to be tough. It's going to it's going to be really hard. That's the best way I can put it. So, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's non non-themed episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin and I don't know where where to put this guy. Is he a televangelist? You know what? I'm going to put him under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. Uh this would be the so-called Prophet Manasseh. Apparently, uh, he's saying he'll raise your, uh, raise you from the dead if you give him a thousand bucks. So, I mean, do you need death insurance? And, you know, if you have an untimely death and you need to be raised from the grave, Prophet Manasseh, if you pay him in advance a thousand bucks, he'll raise you from the dead. We actually have audio to that effect. Yeah, it's, it's just weird is the, uh, the way, best way I can put it. Then we'll switch gears altogether. We'll take a hard turn. Into the, um, still kind of in the same idea, but we have a Terry Savelle Foy update. And, uh, we, we're gonna call this the laundry basket revelation. The laundry basket revelation. Did you know that God, uh, has given a very specific revelation to Terry Savelle Foy's mother? And it involves, you know, common domestic chores and something to do with a laundry basket. So, uh, we'll listen to that. And then we'll switch gears again altogether. We'll do a, uh, a vision casting leader update. We're going to be listening to a gentleman um, wh- whose name is Caesar, Caesar Cal, and Caesar. I wow. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of this. He's he's got um, he's got the, a, a website where uh, Caesar Kalinsky, uh, by the way, is his full name, um, Caesar Kalinsky, and um, hmm. He's talking about missional discipleship and living with intentionality and stuff like that. And uh, this is the kind of I th- this is the kind of video that makes me scratch my head and go, "What is this guy talking about?" You know, and <laughs> this is where you take Christianity and you apply a layer of what's called Christianese. And this is an emergent version of Christianese. And you know, the, these terms that Caesar is using uh, were made popular during the era of the emergent church movement. And he's talking about intentionally living with intentionality while on living a life on mission. And you're, I know, stop looking at me like that. I know you're looking at me like, what are you talking about, Roseboro? Listen, look, I, you just got to hear Caesar on this. And, uh, you know, he's talking about the importance of discipleship. And I think if we're going to be discipling people, you know, going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching as Christ has commanded us to do, well, then I think it's important that we not use, you know, a, a language that makes the discipleship task like almost impossible. You know, so this is a strange dialect of Christianese that I think is extremely unhelpful and creates a weird barrier for Christians to understand um, what the Bible teaches, yet alone somebody who's an unbeliever. And then we'll switch gears and we'll do a Perry Noble update where he's talking about, um, well, innovation and things like that. And, you know, it's all part of his leadership podcast. Of course, my question is, um, 
where are these duties found in Scripture that he's talking about? Because the things he's describing, well, would work well in the world of CEOs, but um, pastors are not those. Sorry, I didn't mean to rhyme there. And then in hour number two, we'll listen to two good, and I hate to say that that way, but two good Easter sermons, one by Pastor Jeremy Rohde and the other by Pastor Chris Rosebrove, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. And uh, so this will kind of set the stage, if you would. How do you compare back and forth between, um, you know, what is a a good, exegetical, excellent, um, Christ-centered, cross-focused preaching on Easter as opposed to, well, the self-centered, bizarre type? Well, you need to first learn what the good thing is, and you'll hear that uh, starting today. And then next week, when you start to compare what you hear next week to what you're hearing this week, hopefully that will all then then, um, start to help things come into focus so you can kind of make the comparison and go, oh, that's what he's talking about. Right. All right. So uh, since we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now. Right, that's uh, Robert Tilton and his uh, <laughs> hit single "Who Babakanda." Now, the Daily Beast, the Daily Beast, is reporting that um, Prophet Manasseh Jordan is apparently telling people via uh, some kind of telemarketing robocall type of system that uh, he will raise you from the dead for a thousand dollars. Yeah, that's right. Um, the uh, Daily Beast reports that Yahim Manasseh Jordan can, claims that he can predict the future, heal the sick, and for the low price of $1,000, the 25-year-old can even raise the dead, but the self-proclaimed prophet of God is not above cold calling. And in fact, we're, gonna, we're going to give you an example of one of the, uh, the cold calls that uh, Manasseh Jordan sends out. But um, the, uh, the Daily Beast reports that Jordan's constant, sometimes daily robocalls are anything but heavenly. According to dozens of lawsuits and hundreds of exasperated recipients, some of whom report daily calls from the newest prophet to his... Uh, to hit the prosperity religious circuit, it quote, it is miserable, said a 20-year-old Tyrell Crosby, a sophomore at the University of Oregon. In a Twitter uh, DM, I have no idea how they got my number, but they've been calling for over a year. I press one so often. Uh, let you leave a message, said Alan Scott Lee, 41, describing how he handles the recurring uh, phone calls. Sometimes I read poetry or just leave extreme farting sounds. <laughs> Jordan, who has been sued 16 times in federal court within the last three years 
for incessant calling in violation of the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, a 1991 law passed by Congress to address tenacious telemarketers. Jordan's legal team's uh, go-to response is set is uh, settling and then sealing the terms of the settlement. Uh, this year alone, Jordan has been sued four times for the harassing calls uh, by plaintiffs in Texas, Florida, Illinois, and most recently this month in New York. Quote, unsolicited pre-recorded robocalls to people without consent, that's a problem, and it's why he's being sued, said Ian Ballin, an intellectual property and internet attorney who serves as executive director of Stanford University's Law School's Center for E-Commerce. The TCPA... um, is a statute, Balance said, is more commonly abused by plaintiffs' lawyers who file frivolous lawsuits. But in this instance, the annoying calls seem to not only be a ter- terrible recruiting method, but apparently they're illegal. These lawsuits can be expensive to litigate, he continued, and he may view it as being worth any price to keep on reaching out to people, but that's not typical. So, yeah, apparently uh, Manasseh Jordan, um, you know, according to the Daily Beast, is uh, is a tenacious robo telemarketer, and uh, he is also um, claiming uh, in his uh, most recent robo calls that he, he can raise you from the dead for a thousand bucks. Apparently, there's a story that he tells about a woman who was raised from the dead for the paltry. <clears throat> yeah, price of one thousand dollars. Yeah, it seems. I mean, you know, death insurance. I mean, you might as well pay a thousand bucks to Manasseh if you're going to be paying, you know, for you know your, your life. And no, I'm I'm joking. You shouldn't do that. But anyway, yeah, we're going to give you an example here of um, one of uh, Manasseh Jordan's uh, pre-recorded robo phone calls and what it sounds like. So. Here it is. Here's Prophet Manasseh Jordan in one of his robocalls where he's trying to solicit um, money from people. Here we go. My dearest friend, this is Prophet Manasseh. The Lord began to speak to me and he showed me major losses that you have experienced over the last two to five years. No. Wow. 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 That's amazing. The Lord has told you about all the major losses I've been experiencing over the last two to, two to five. Hmm. Um. I can't think of what those would be hmm you sure god was talking to you we continue some of these losses have dealt with even things that have taken place with a loved one an individual that was close to your heart an individual that you thought would be there and the other had to even deal with setbacks on certain things that you were trying to do even within your finances but the uh-huh yeah this this sounds a lot like um you know something akin to a psychic reading this doesn't sound like prophecy at all to me the Lord begin to show me a miracle of favor cloud. And as I a miracle of favor cloud. God showed you that, really? Wow. That's impressive. I begin to look in the spirit. I begin to look over the gates of heaven. And I begun to see a miracle cloud that had an individual that was face was lined in this cloud. And it also had a prosperity blessing, a financial blessing that you're about to receive. Oh, wow. About to receive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that there was a prosperity cloud that in which I'm about to receive. Uh, yeah, I don't know what this is, but it ain't prophecy, that's for sure. Yeah. 
The Lord began to speak to me and he showed me an individual that will need to get this blessing that you have been asking God to touch. Yeah, so somebody's needing to get this blessing that God has been asking you to touch. Uh Uh-huh, right. I think he's Italian or something here. Almost as if the second letter or the second syllable uh, in the name is like a vowel making an R on the E sound. Uh, Yeah, if this is you, the second syllable is an R-E sound. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that's what that that's what the sound. Maybe it's like yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, you're about to begin to see that God is going to give them a miracle in the next seven days, and God is going to release a financial blessing in the next seven days yeah. with this miracle favor cloud. I yeah, the miracle favor cloud, duh must get the name of this individual that the Lord has begun to show me. Yeah, if the Lord's begun to show you his name, why didn't God just say, his name is Homer Johnson. He lives at 2832 uh, A Street in Pittsburgh. And you know, why, you know, if God's showing you his name, well then just cough it up. I think God knows where he lives, right? This favor cloud, and I must know how much money you are asking God to release. Begin to write me back and to email. Yeah, so email him. Let him know how much money <laughs> you're going to give Prophet Manasseh. Tell me immediately in this favor cloud on your behalf. Remember that it was the favor cloud that guided the children of Israel as they begun to walk throughout that wilderness. For the Bible says it was a fire by night. Email me immediately and I have to give you this prophecy what the Lord begun to say. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, that's an example of um, so-called prophet Manasseh's uh, robocalling. And, uh, and, you know, people are reporting in his latest round of robocalls for just a thousand bucks. He will, um, uh, he'll, he'll raise you from the dead if you die unexpectedly. So, yeah, the guy's a charlatan. The guy is, you know, a con. The guy has made a living basically being, um, a parasite, um, in the, uh, visible body of, uh, Christ. Although I don't believe he's a Christian at all. The man, I, yeah, I've talked to people who've dealt with him personally. The guy is nothing but, uh, you know, he is money-grubbing and money-focused like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the guy is all about, well, making the money. Moving along. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Yeah, time for a Terry Savelle Foy update. It's Yeah, that's right. I'm a Barbie girl. That's our uh, Terry Savelle Foy update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to from Terry Savelle Foy is um, one of her latest videos. And in this uh, video, uh, you know, kind of self-help prosperity type video, if you would, um, she's going to reveal to us the laundry basket 
uh, revelation. Yeah, the laundry basket revelation. This is uh, the voice of God apparently speaking to her mother, uh, Terry Savelle Foy's mother, and revealing something, a very important principle, and it comes in the laundry basket prophecy. So here's Terry Savelle Foy to explain to us this important revelation. Here we go. Hey, I'm Terry Savelle Foy. I'm so glad you're watching today. I want to talk to you about the laundry basket law of success. So the, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize that the laundry basket prophecy had been elevated to now the laundry basket law of success. My apologies, folks. I didn't realize that, that this uh, prophecy had gone from prophecy to law now. Uh, and you're sitting there going, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, I've watched the video. And what we're going to hear is, well, a claim that her mother received a direct revelation from God Almighty. And that revelation, well, now has um, implications for you and for me. And uh, and it, it's been elevated, you know, it's been promoted to the the law of the laundry basket of success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We continue. Ever heard of it? <laughs> well, you know, I think I've made this up. But this comes straight from a story that I learned from my mom and dad, Jerry and Carolyn Savelle, years ago, back in the early 70s, when they had moved from Shreveport, Louisiana to Fort Worth, Texas to go to work for Kenneth Copeland. They were, as they describe it, dirt poor, living in a house that they said was barely, you know, about to be condemned. It was so bad, poverty stricken. The car had, I don't know, 100, 200,000 miles on it. They called it the yellow bomb, if that tells you anything. And, you know, my mom is, she's wearing cut down maternity clothes, had no money to buy new clothes, had two little babies, you know, crawling around, walking. And they're learning about success. They're learning about prosperity and how to believe God for things. Well, my mom, now it's hard for me to comprehend, but back then she got into this habit or this rut where she would do her laundry. She'd pull it out of the dryer, throw it on the guest room bed. And if any of us needed something, she'd pull it off the guest room bed and put it on us. Well, same with the dishes. She'd wash the dishes, either leave them in the sink or put them in the dishwasher. And when somebody needed a dish, she'd pull it out of the dishwasher. Well, one day she was doing her normal day-to-day activities. She's doing the laundry, pulls it out of the dryer, put it in a basket and threw it on the guest room bed. All of a sudden, she heard the Lord speak. And he said three powerful words that... Three powerful words. Okay, God is speaking. We need to add this to our Bible. ...her life. You know what they were? Finish your laundry. (laughs) She thought, come again. And the Lord told her, finish your laundry. Uh, God told her, finish your laundry. It's This is the laundry basket law of success now. Direct revelation from God. He began to teach her. He said, you haven't finished your laundry because you threw it on a bed. He said, take care of what you've got. Finish what you start. And I'll bless you with better. Okay. Said it the other way. Finish what you start. Take care of what you've got, and I'll bless you with better. So my mom began learning such a simple principle of taking the clothes out, folding them up, putting them away nicely and neatly, and then, you know, the clothing that was in that big pile in the guest room bed. She would get hangers, hang the dresses up. She'd iron them, put them on the hanger, hang them up. Then the dishes, she'd take them out of the dishwasher, put them in the cabinet. Same with her car. The, the Lord began to teach her. Take care of your car. That old car called the yellow bomb. I'm not going to bless you with a better car till you take care of the one you've got. Uh, so God won't bless you unless you take care of your yellow bomb, right? Well, 
Mom started washing the vinyl seats, cleaning off the dashboards, vacuuming the floors. Because she had direct revelation from God that if she took care of her stuff, then God would give her better stuff. Taking care of that old car that was about to fall apart. Well, little by little, the Lord began to bless her. He started blessing her with nicer towels and nicer clothing. And that led to nicer dishes. And because she was vacuuming the house, that led to nicer carpeting, nicer bedding, which led to a nicer car and, of course, nicer house. So if you want a nicer house, nicer car, nicer bedding, nicer towels... Yeah, you just all you got to do is take care of the stuff you got, and because this is the laundry basket law of success, which is a direct revelation that Carolyn Savell received directly from God back in the 1970s, right? That's a principle from the Word of God that when you're faithful in the little things, God will make you ruler over many things. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, that's taking uh, Matthew 20. She's referencing Matthew 25 verse 21. There in her video and totally ripping it out of context. Matthew twenty five twenty one does not say if you will you know be faithful over little things, God will make you ruler over better things. Yeah, this is an eschatological text, and what I mean by that is that there's something going on here. There's a parable in this uh, in this text that you need to be aware of, and this is one that she's absolutely twisting by taking a part of it out of context. Matthew 25, I'll start at verse 13. We'll apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, context. And Jesus says, For the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and trusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Now, by the way, this is not about... Um, this is not about talents like, oh, I can sing or things like that. This is a parable. And so the thing that's happening here that, you know, that you can kind of understand in the earthly is explaining something to do with the heavenly kingdom itself. Okay. So yeah, this isn't talking about your ability to sing. This is not a It's, that's not what's going on here at all. This is a story about whether or not you have faith in Christ and so, you know, there's three guys in the story. Two of them have a good view of the master and have faith in him. The other doesn't, has a bad view of the master, and which explains his behavior. Um, and so the thing that, that, you know, this is referring to is not talents or money or possessions or things like that. That's not what this is about. This is about what are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with the message of salvation? That's really the currency that's being referred to here. So, uh, two, two he left five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Talk, And this is in the last day, not in the present time. Present time. Um, so uh, he also went to the, uh, who had two talents, came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So notice, each of these guys go out and do business in the name of the master with the thing that they've been given. 
and and hey the the what they've been given like multiplies you know it does its thing but this last guy um you know who who does not have a good view of the master he says uh, also he who had received the one talent came forward saying master i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow gathering where you scattered no seed i was afraid and you went and i wouldn't hid your talent in the ground here is what uh, is yours, but his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have in- invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what is my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has uh, w- will more be given, the he who ha- so he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is a, s- a parable of judgment, and ultimately it's about your whether or not you have faith or what you believe about the master. You believe he's good, kind, merciful, and all that kind of stuff. You're going to take what he's giving you. You're going to go do business in his name. And if you don't, well, then you won't. Yeah, you see. <sighs> yeah, what Terry Savelle Foy is doing here is just a crime. One translation talks about because you were loyal with small things, I'll put you in charge of great things. Yeah, not talking about small things, you know, like the yellow bomb and things like that. Well, you know, I was... Although we should take care of the things that God has cut, is, it put us in stewardship over. The story... um in a book from Rick Renner, and this is from my Vision 101 course. Vision 101. Yeah, I'm sure that's helpful. The whole month on getting organized. Well, he was talking about before he ever promotes someone to a top leadership position in his company or in his organization, he said this, How a person treats his home usually reveals to you how he will treat your church, ministry, or organization. The care of his home reveals his attention to details, his standard of excellence, the pride in the way he lives, and the high or low level of respect he has for himself. Then he said this, I'm so convinced of this that before I place someone in a top leadership position on our team, he said, I pay a visit to his house unannounced. Think about that. He just shows up at their front door because he said, I want to see how they live their life behind the scenes. Right. And so because that guy does that, you know, that means God's not going to bless you with better stuff until you learn how to put away your laundry. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, Yeah, not sure what to make of that um, because, well, actually, that's not biblical at all. And uh, Terry Savelle Foy seems to be one of these people who... Uh, is like utterly clueless as to what the Bible actually says and what it is that we Christians are supposed to be believing, teaching, and confessing. I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to Caesar kind of making discipleship like totally un, unintelligible and then uh, Paranoble talking about, you know, innovation and ideas and executing on them. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. 
stop and ravage and don't give a hoot. Bring up the Adi Yo ho, yo ho, yo ho, a virus like me. We extort three notes and we don't do that. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? Not if you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the Biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think all these people out there claiming that they're hearing from God aren't. That's because they're not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank. Your rank is based upon your monthly uh, financial commitment. And uh, the lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95, Master Gunner at $49.95, and Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along. I have been laboring over which update music to use for this guy. Do I use Vision Casting Leader update because he's kind of the guy who coaches Vision Casting Leader types? Or do I, because he's kind of stuck in a Christianese he clearly learned during the era of the emergent church, what do I do with him? So I, I flipped the coin during the break, and I decided that the, the right way of um, doing an update for, uh, for Caesar Kalinowski would be to do this. These are the sounds of the emergent postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Doug Paget. their rendition of Strauss's Also Sprock Zarathustra. Now, as you can tell, they have freed themselves from the very limiting definitions of notes and music uh, developed during the time of mo- modernity in there. Now, just going with the spirit, this is postmodern classical music, if you would. Very avant-garde. Building to a crescendo here. 
This is just amazing. That'll stick it to the Caesar man. How dare you tell us how to play music? We're just gonna be led by the spirit, man. Yeah, I, I labored long and hard while flipping the coin there. And so uh, what we're going to be listening to and is uh, a guy by the name of Caesar Kalinowski. And Caesar is one of these guys who is, you know, trying to <laughs> help us live intentionally on mission. And, you know, he's into discipleship and things like that. And uh, this is a dialect of Christianese that I never was able to master. But it's it's bizarre to hear somebody still talking like this. Here's uh, Caesar Kalinowski. Is, he explains to us a roadmap for living on mission intentionally. You know, here we go. Hey there, Caesar here. I'm one of the founding leaders of Soma Communities, and I'm currently the director of the GCM. Soma Communities body. Okay. <laughs> In scripture, the soma could be bad, you know, it could be your sinful flesh, you know. Collective, that's GCM, Gospel, Community, and Mission. And we help train folks all over the world in the areas of discipleship and mission. Yeah. Now, I'm a bit of a spiritual entrepreneur and mentor, and it's... Uh, A what? A spiritual entrepreneur. Yeah, okay. My passion to help those of you with a high commitment to intentional living... Uh, (laughs) Oh, What? Okay, um, so how many of you out there have a high commitment? I mean, really high commitment to intentional living. I mean, if you don't, you know, maybe you are just living unintentionally, you know, um, which somewhere, I'm sure, in the Bible, that's probably a bad thing. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there a self-evaluation tool, Caesar, that I can take to... Test my commitment to you know being intentional and you know things like that. Get the skills and tools necessary to succeed. Yeah, and leave a lasting legacy. Right, because you know if you don't live intentionally, you can't leave a lasting legacy. Right. I spent the last three decades starting and leading companies and ministries, traveling the world, yeah. and learning from some of the best leaders out there. Yeah, I've also made a ton of mistakes, but I've learned from them too. Oh. In this video series. I'm going to share with you how you can quickly and easily begin to live a lifestyle of discipleship and mission with others. Live a lifestyle of discipleship and mission with others? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I learned Christianese in the 80s, okay? Um, so I, <laughs> I don't speak this dialect. What is this I'm listening to? What does it mean to be to live a lifestyle of discipleship? I know what it means to go and make a disciple. I know what that's all about. But living a lifestyle in, you know, in missional community frappuccino cappuccino grande mocha. Um yeah, I'm not sure what any of that means. I'm going to give you my own personal and tested steps yeah. toward living an integrated life on mission. An integrated life on mission. Right. Um because, you know, if you don't live an integrated macchiato life on mission, then your mocha grande frappuccino thingy um, vanilla latte will 
just, you know, not foam up. You know, it just is terrible. Family and friends. Yeah. These are the exact things, okay, that yeah. my wife Tina and I do whenever we start a new missional community. Or- right. What's a missional community? I, I know what a church is. What's a missional community? To a new neighborhood or city. Yeah. Or when we've trained thousands of others to do the very same things. Uh-huh. Maybe like me. Uh, you've spent years or even decades going to church, and now, for whatever reason, you want to dive a little deeper into the mix. You, want- uh-huh. you mean maybe go into pastoral ministry? That would require somebody to go to seminary, you know, something like that. You know, study, show yourself approved. Um, okay. Try to figure out how to be the church for yourself, for your family, and for those you love and care about who've already voted no on this whole going to church thing. Okay, so I I need to learn how to, because I want to go deeper, so I don't want to just go to church. I want to learn how to be the church. Uh Uh-huh. Because there's those people that have voted no on the whole going to church thing. So I need to intentionally, missionally, macchiatoing, you know, frappuccinoing, you know, whatever-ing, in the right, uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, you familiar with my uh, phrase that I use from time to time here? Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I'm hearing nouns. I'm hearing verbs. These are actual sentences. I mean, structurally, they're totally sound. The meaning of these sentences? Yeah, not so much. N- not so much. We continue. Like I said, I grew up going to church Sunday after Sunday. Yeah. And mission or missions was something that just a few special people went and did overseas, right? They moved to foreign lands to proclaim the gospel and serve people. Well, yeah, that would be the whole idea about missionaries. Yeah, you think of the Apostle Paul, you know, in his missionary journeys in the book of Acts. You know, he was sent to go and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins and People heard the gospel and they were brought to faith in Christ and they planted churches that way. Yeah, so you can you, know, you you can talk about missionaries in that sense. And at the same time, I mean, those of us who are not called to foreign missions, you know, we can actually proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to our neighbors. Um, we can help in the discipleship task, bring them to church so that they can hear the gospel and, you know, be baptized and you know, things like that. So, uh-huh. They were known as our missionaries. Right. Well, discipleship, if and when it happened, was a series of classes or a curriculum that we all went through. Uh, discipleship is kind of like in the whole ongoing process of being a Christian, don't you think? Topical, it was pretty dry, and it was removed from everyday life. It was primarily focused on knowledge acquisition, you know, learning about stuff. Right. Um, Yeah, uh, you think about Jesus discipling his disciples. Um, Yeah, they had a lot of knowledge acquisition that they had to get along the way. Um, This is most certainly true. The disciples definitely grew in knowledge acquisition as far as doctrine and other things like that. And at the same time, I mean... Discipleship is also something that you learn by doing, um, you know, serving others and things like that. It's life and doctrine, yeah. The problem with that is it didn't really work. Oh, yeah. Apparently it didn't work for you. Okay. What I've learned is that you can't really make a mature disciple or lead anyone else to faith 
by throwing out short rehearsed speeches or going over a short program sitting in a classroom or office. All right, so apparently uh, the whole D. James Kennedy evangelism explosion technique doesn't work. Got it. By sitting in rows on Sunday. Yeah, and going and sitting in rows on Sunday, that won't do it either. You should probably sit in circles. The goal should be a lifestyle of discipleship and mission where our faith and the gospel touches down in everyday life and in the normal rhythms that we all already live in with others. Uh, and so the the you, we need a gospel touchdown in the normal rhythms, right? Mhm. Yeah, I'm <laughs> This is a strange dialect of Christianese here. I want that. Yeah. I'm guessing you want that too. If I knew what it meant, maybe I would. Um what does it mean <laughs> so I can decide whether or not I want it? But I do get some pushbacks on this. Here's what I... Yeah, you're getting pushback from me right now because, you know, I um, have a degree in religious studies, biblical languages, and, you know, um, God... (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Like a zillion times from people. Yeah. They'll say, but I want this, but my life is already so busy and filled up with a ton of commitments. Yeah. I just don't have any margin. People say that to you? Um, <laughs> so it gets a ton of pushback. People saying, you know, hey, you know, I'm really uh, this whole intentional missional life on the macchiato contingency thingy. I'm really on board with it, at least, you know, in abstraction. But, yeah, the whole margin thingy in my life um, just ain't working out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or, I don't really know how to begin to live a missional life with my family or others. Right. So how exactly does missional life get going? Right. Or sometimes I'll hear, I don't know how to talk about my faith and spiritual things without making other people feel weird. Or- now, see, I understood that sentence and I got it. I That sentence, I yeah, there was one sentence right there. He made perfect sense. Got it. Okay. <laughs> or I feel weird when I try to move things in relationship to spiritual issues or conversation. Uh, it's getting foggy again here. I hear this too a lot. I was never really discipled in a way that the gospel speaks into and changes every area of my life. The gospel speaking into changing the areas. Uh-huh. Right. Or people say, we've already tried this missional thing. And it wasn't easy. I wonder why they would say that. I mean, there's there's like this language barrier, and it's ginormous. I mean, you think the Great Wall of China would be difficult to scale. Scale the Great Wall of language in the missional, macchiato, intentional community life thingy. Uh-huh. No, I hear this a lot. Yeah. Let me tell you, God's extended family, yeah. that's us Christians, yeah. in the normal rhythms of life, right. is the context in which disciples are made and multiplied. I want to begin to demystify what living a missional life and starting... <laughs> How do you demystify this while mystifying it? <laughs> I've been a Christian for most of my life, and I don't know what you're saying community really looks like yeah i want to show you that you don't have to have the talents of a rock star yeah. or the wisdom of yoda 
to effectively and naturally live a life on God's mission. Effectively and naturally, not like Yoda, live a life on God's... What are you... Disciples who make disciples. And you know what? You don't have to add a big old list of new activities to your life. In fact, it's actually quite simple. No, no, no. There's nothing simple about what you're saying. I mean, nothing simple about this because I don't understand what you're talking about. It's a few moves that we can learn from watching Jesus' life. And once we see them and master these moves, they'll become second nature for us. So so we need to master some moves while intentionally, missionally, you know, doing the, the multiplication thingy. Yeah become part of the normal rhythm of our lives i forgot about the rhythm part yeah the normal rhythm thingy multiplying while intentionally i am so lost now i really love my family and my community just like you but with everything that comes at us in a day or a week or a year it's easy to get derailed even from our best intentions (laughs) I, i was derailed as soon as you started talking caesar it can be hard to set priorities yeah. and stay focused on what's really important. Right. Hey, I want to massively shorten your learning curve and your frustration here and get you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't believe you when you say you want to massively shorten my frustration because four minutes, 25 seconds into this robe mat for mission thingy, the free course online, and I am so frustrated. I just. <laughs> I didn't understand anything you were saying. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. This does not sound like an easier way to making disciples, like, at all. I mean, you know, this, this, the profundity of what it is that he's talking about is quite the, um, wow, I don't know how, anyway, I, I need to move along because I am, like, so frustrated. But it's time for a very noble update, and that requires us to do... This. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as, as long, long as, as I, I do it with, with a flare. What effect a little smoke is with a dash of hocus pocus and the scent of burning sulfur in the air. I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke, but they love me everywhere. For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do, as long as I do it with a flower. Yeah, that's right. It doesn't really matter what I say or what I do, as long as I do it with a flare. That's our uh, Perry Noble update music. Now, what we're going to be listening to is uh, Perry Noble in one of his recent leadership podcasts. That's right. Yeah, he's he well, he's a successful vision casting leader, you know. And uh, that means that there's there's young, enterprising, missional entrepreneurs who want to plant missional communities and drink macchiatos, <laughs> who <laughs> who really want to you know learn and glean you know important leadership advice from Perry Noble, mm-hmm. and so he's going to be talking about from ideation to innovation to implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is just some important stuff that we're talking about here. And uh, without any further ado, here's the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast to explain this important leadership concept. Here we go. 
Welcome to the March 2016 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Woo-hoo! We are super pumped to be with you guys uh, this month. Thanks for listening. And uh, today we're going to talk about the topic of ideas. 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 How to take them from ideation through innovation to implementation. All those great big words that someone else came up with. But I th- Right. Did you learn them from Caesar Kalinowski? thought they were really great is ideation a word uh, it is today it is so we're right you know you we can find this ideation stuff you know in the bible somewhere we're just know? gonna roll with it I but before it. we get right. to uh today's topic i want to uh, just uh prop up a couple things uh that you guys need to get your hands on if you haven't already the first right. uh perry is your uh latest book on leadership, the most excellent way to lead. It's fantastic. Right, because, you know, I'm going to learn all about how to be a church leader from the guy who said you're a jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> you're a donkey. Um, you know, if uh, you want to go deeper in the scriptures. Yeah, I'm going to learn leadership. From the most excellent way to lead is, you know, the Perry Noble way. The guy who opened up an Easter service with uh, ACDC's Highway to Hell, and recently said that if he could do it all over again, he would. He has no regrets. Right, I'm going to learn the most excellent way to lead in Christ church from, not the Bible, but Perry Noble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm in a Twilight Zone episode. Uh, you can get that at uh, lots of places, uh, but you can go to mo- the most excellent way to lead.com and get that. And Perry also wrote an ebook that we talked about in the last podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, go listen to it or go to the website and pick up a free copy of that. It is really great. Only. And when we say free, we mean free, super like, free, super free. Like there's not like an super upsell. Free. We didn't super sell you the, fr- we didn't give it super free, super free. It's super free. Yeah. Uh-huh. Give you the first chapter and you have to buy the rest. It's, it's so free. It's, it's scary, but we do reserve the right to do that at some point. Yes. Yes. We do reserve the right <laughs> to charge millions of dollars, but go. no, it's super free. And uh, one last thing uh, for all the leaders out there, church or otherwise, there's lots of resources available uh, at newspringnetwork.com. So check out that website when you get a chance. And uh, last month we announced we would give away a signed copy of The Most Excellent Way to Lead. And so we're here to announce today that Michael Ott, all the way from up north in Wisconsin, Wisconsin. won Wisconsin. a signed copy of that. And so it will be on its way to you uh, shortly if you haven't gotten it already. What if he's a Green Bay Packers fan? He's got to be. Yeah, because what else is there to do in Wisconsin mm-hmm. except read my book and Eat be a cheese. Pi- yeah. You should try living in North Dakota. Yeah. I kind of like the Green Bay Packers, though. Yeah. They're hey, good. How can you not like them? Right? They're good. History. All right. Today's topic, uh, Perry, I'm, I'm really excited about talking uh, about this today because I really believe it'll be helpful to all the leaders who are listening in. Yeah, not the pastors. Notice they're not talking to pastors. They're talking to Leaders. Let me translate that into German for you. Führers. You're right. This is uh, this is all about being a good Führer. And uh, we'll be talking about how to take a good idea concept and yeah. how it would go through the process of becoming a great idea that's actually not put up on the shelf but implemented. Uh, you know, we're in the church business, so we'll be speaking. Yeah, the, the the church what? The church business. Bus- business. Hmm. Hmm. From that point of view, but the process works, I believe, no matter what type of organization someone leads. Because Right. This works in, you know, Fortune 500 companies, church businesses. 
Um, yeah, okay. Because every church or organization has to implement new ideas to stay in the forefront of their attenders or customers' minds to actually be. Oh, uh, what, 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 what? So you, you must, if you are, yeah, you, you must, if you are in the church business, uh, implement new ideas if you want to stay in the forefront of your customers' minds. Wow. Boy, that just flips what the church is totally on its head, doesn't it? Is the church a business that has to have market share? Or is the church where, well, a, a church building is where the body of Christ gathers to hear God's word, to baptize new Christians, to disciple them in the word of God, to take the Lord's Supper, um, to learn how to minister to and serve each other, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, the, the church business. Yeah, I th- what he's describing doesn't at all sound like the church or even a church. Perry Noble isn't a pastor. He's a Fuhrer. Be useful to those same people. So with that, let's just jump into the first question. Um, now, some people may know this about you. I know this for sure about you. You are an idea machine. Cha-ching! You're always... Ka-ching! Yeah, that's the money sound. Uh-huh. He's thinking about something we can do as a church to make a positive impact on the people who are coming to our church. So how do you continuously come up with ideas, and why is that important to you? Um, Ideas, that's just it. Ideas really come from a little bit of everywhere. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know where they come from, but they, you know, they kind of come from everywhere. Right. Yeah. Like I, some people go, I get my best ideas when I'm hiking. I get my best ideas when I'm fishing. I get my best ideas when, and it, for me. Yeah, honey, I, I, I've got an important business trip I need to take. Um, yeah, I'm going to head out to the lake and, um, start fishing for some ideas. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll be gone for several days, but this is important. This is vital for our business, you know. Me, I just decided I don't, I don't go anywhere without my phone. I have yeah. it like an Evernote doc or whatever. Where- yeah, I don't go anywhere without my phone either. Um, my wife wouldn't really allow that, but um, <laughs> uh huh, okay. Where I can write ideas down, talk yeah. about ideas. Yeah. It'll, I, I'll have an idea hit me. Yeah. So right now we're discussing that all important topic under Führership. Uh, known as ideation. When I'm um, uh, watching the news, I'll yeah. have an idea hit me when I'm watching a do- documentary. Like right. I'm watching, uh, right. what's that one on Netflix right now? Friday Night Tykes. Friday Night Tykes. Um, yeah, and so I had an idea about parents and parenting and stuff like that. And, yeah, he had an idea about parenting because he was watching Netflix. Right, yeah. Like bad parenting if you're watching that show. Um, I had an idea today about a saxophone. Um, that I've talked. Wow, that uh, that'll blow your mind. He had a whole idea about a saxophone, you know. Talked about before, but I was right down the road and I was listening to a a, a song by the Little River Band. Oh yeah, yeah, old school, back in the day. <laughs> yep, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, and there's a saxophone solo yep. in the song "Cool Change," and I yeah, there is. It's pretty impressive too. Yeah, I just I started thinking about. Oh my gosh, what if we did this, this, and this? And so there's probably going to be something that we execute on. Let me, let me go in my mind. Oh, the world will never be the same because, you know, Perry Noble was listening to the Little River Band. Yeah. For April 10th. So on April 10th in New Spring Church, you're probably going to see a saxophone used 
in a sur- in the service and somehow and it just became because I was um uh listening to Cool Change by Little River Band. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. So that's you know how ideation happens, you know. You just pay attention to, you know, while you're listening to your favorite music, old school or not, and uh and make sure, you know, to use that time to you know, um write down anything that just burbles up and comes up into your mind. You know, so, you know, if I'm walking down the street and you know listening to some eighties, you know, music, you know, um, you know, maybe I, maybe I can think about some really cool punk solo that we can add into the divine service at our church. Yeah. Oh, that way we can stay in the forefront of, you know, our customers' minds, you know. So I won't diverge into the what gave you the idea to listen to the Little River Band on your way home today. But I think that's interesting. But so what do you do with those ideas? So these ideas are coming everywhere. You put them in your phone. Yeah. But why, why are you always writing them down? I mean, what's the intentionality behind that? Because I forget. Yeah, because you get, you just, no, there's that word again, intentionality. Apparently, you know, I think Perry Noble might be, you know, living intentionally on mission while innovating it, 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 during his ideation cycles while listening to the Little River Band. Yeah. Ghetto, man. Like, I, I, I'll forget. So, so the other day I was, um, uh, I had an idea about, um, a, a dating leadership. And at first it was like a, it was a talk and then it turned into an ebook and now it might actually turn into a book and now it might turn into a series. But I was just reading John chapter 10, um, where Jesus talked about the good sheep and the shepherd and all that good stuff. And I, um, I never use my quiet time as sermon development time. But I remember that morning after. Yeah, I know because that makes sense for you because you know when you're when you're having devotion time, that usually implies you're reading the Bible, and you know generally the Bible only makes cameo appearances in your sermon, so you wouldn't want to use you know Bible study time to actually do sermon prep. That could really mess things up. I have my quiet time. Um, I went over to the couch. I got my phone out. I pulled up Evernote. Um, which is, this is not an official endorsement for Evernote, but it is awesome. I love Evernote. And, um, I could not type fast enough when my thumbs were like going like crazy because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a great idea. And here, here's the thing. If you don't write them down, you'll lose them. Oh yeah. I know. That's the way it is with ideas, man. You you don't write them down. They're like kaput. You'll, you, you think you'll remember a great idea, but if you don't write it down somewhere, you're going to lose it. And you can't have enough ideas, right? I don't think so. Yeah, because that kind of leads to the next question. When you when you have the, an idea or a bunch of ideas, what do you do next with the idea? You've written it down. Right, yeah. You've done the ideation thing. You know, what's next? Because the Bible just doesn't teach any of this for, like, the pastoral office. But, you know, you knew business guys, you know, the leaders, the fewers that you are. I mean, what comes next after – you know, you've used Evernote to write down the thing that burbled up in your brain while listening to your favorite band. And you know it's there. What's the next step? Well, I heard I had somebody tell me years ago, um, everything's better if you let it marinate. And so Right. So after ideation comes marination. Oh yeah. I totally forgot about that important step. I think one of the mistakes that I've made in the past is I'll have a I'll have an idea yeah and I want to implement it immediately. So yeah. let's say I've, you forgot to marinate it. I mean you, 
you can't have an idea before marination. I mean, it's just not ready. I've got an idea for a video. Yeah. Um, not considering that. In or- okay, it might be a great idea for a video. Might be the best video idea ever in the history of all mankind. Yeah. But in order to um, actually make that happen, it's going to involve about seven or eight people, and it's going to take at least a month to fully produce if I want it the way I saw it in my mind. Um, and so that I think that's major. So you got to let it marinate in your mind, right? If you're gonna intentionally, you know, do the ideation thing, the marination part is oh, vital step before you know innovation and then implementation, right? So you got to you got to distinguish like is this a good idea or a god idea? I think Mark Batterson, right? Yeah, Ugh, important question to ask during the marination phase. Good idea or God idea, yeah. And said that because um, good ideas are okay, but God ideas, those are the ones Those are the ones you can't get away from. Those are the ones you can't. Right. Those, those you know, yeah, the God ideas, they're, they're like hound dogs, man. You know, and, you know, you can try to escape, you know, but they can always spot like the orange prison suits and stuff. They'll, they'll, they'll track you down. Yeah put down those are the ones you got to execute and then the, the second thing i do is i'll bounce an idea off of probably two or three people right so during the marination phase you got to do some bouncing right yeah <laughs> you know I, I just, what has happened to the church i mean you know I, I I don't even know what to do with this anymore. I mean, this has just reached an all-time level of just bizarre. You know, people are eating this up. Going, oh, this is the best thing ever. And, and you know, it's weird. I think that Perry Noble is somewhat related to Caesar. And, um, of course, he is a Fuhrer. But, um, you know, so, you know, you got the ideation, Evernote phase, marination. During the marinating, you got to do some bouncing. And... <laughs> Yeah, and there's a whole army, and I mean it, army, army of up-and-coming, seeker-driven, vision-casting leader types who are, they're, I mean, seriously, they probably have already listened to this podcast five times and have thought, this is the most life-changing thing ever. And I say everybody who's listening to this taking notes on this, they are totally off track. When it comes to actually doing what Jesus has told us to do. It's actually quite simple. Are you ready? In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that I have commanded. It, that's just really straightforward. No ideation, Evernote, marination, bouncing, anything in the intentional macchiato community of the missional um, thingy of intentional uh, stuff is even needed. (laughs) What Jesus said, I get. And I think we just need to go back to that. What these guys are saying, I have no idea what any of it is really about. It just seems like a complete distraction. And, you know, something that is just utter obfuscation that is, taking us off track so that we're not actually fulfilling the great commission. And it's, yeah, it's bad. 
What do you think? Um, yeah, we're going to take our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to listen to two fine Easter sermons that will make sense. Thank God. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to kick off our sermons for the week. This is the week when we only play... Uh, Easter sermons where the pastor actually preaches about Jesus or the resurrection or the life to come because of the resurrection actually exegetes a biblical text that should be preached on Easter. That's kind of the idea and does a decent job of it. So let's do this right. Bad, 
the Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermons first comes from Faith Lutheran Church, Capistrano Beach, California. Pastor Jeremy Rohde presiding. He will be preaching on the assigned gospel text for uh, yesterday. That would be Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 in the three-year lectionary. And second sermon comes to us via Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. Pastor Chris Roseboro presiding. And he will be preaching on Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, which is the assigned Old Testament pericope uh, following the three-year lectionary. And weave into it parts of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 19 through 26. So let me go ahead and back off on the music here. Yeah, that's all right. And let me read the uh, the text that will form the basis of Pastor Rody's sermon. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, which reads, But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, As they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told them these things, uh, told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, ran to the tomb, stooping in, uh, looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That is the text that forms the pace, uh, basis of Pastor Jeremy Rohde's Easter sermon from yesterday. Here we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. These words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. It wasn't merely the empty tomb that caught Peter's attention. It was also those linen cloths lying there by themselves. Linens that had so recently been wrapped around the body of Jesus. If someone had taken the body, those linens should be gone too. There's another detail we have from an eyewitness account. The cloth that had covered Jesus' head, was also found, neatly folded up. Hardly the work of hurried thieves. No, something altogether more scandalous was going on, something that caused Peter to marvel, and marvel all the more he would, when Peter saw his risen Lord face to face. Our Lord Jesus died in His body, and in His body He is alive again. 
He did not rise in the disciples' hearts. He did not rise metaphorically. He rose literally and physically. Touch me and see that it is I. Put your fingers here where the nails entered my hands. Put your hand here where the spear pierced my side. Three days Jesus spent in the tomb. Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, and Sunday morning. His body was cold and lifeless, wrapped in burial linens. His chest was still and without breath. His heart was silent and stopped. Then suddenly, his heart began to beat. His chest began to move with breath. Warmth and life flooded his body. He opened his eyes. Off with those linens that had wrapped him. Off with that cloth that had covered his head. And then pausing. I love this. Our Lord Jesus took that cloth that had covered his head and he folded it up neatly and he laid it down as if making his bed. Indeed, when Peter looked into the empty tomb, those linens lying on the burial slab would have looked a bit like sheets on an empty bed. Before Jesus had died on the cross, there was this day when a great crowd of people was pressing all around him. And a desperate man came pushing through that crowd. When he got to Jesus, he begged him to come and help his daughter. She was so ill she could die at any moment. As Jesus walked toward the man's house, someone came and said to the father, It's too late. Your daughter has just died. Imagine that father. He wasn't even there to hold his little girl's hand while she died. He was off with Jesus. Jesus looked him right in the eye and said, Do not fear. Only believe. When they got to the house, grief for the little girl was so intense. There was a commotion and loud weeping and wailing. And coming into the house, Jesus said, Why this commotion and wailing? She's only asleep. And they laughed at him. You can imagine that in that moment of intense grief, there was nothing but hatred and scorn behind that laughter. Some young preacher come to fill their ears with cheap spiritual platitudes. When our little girl lies dead. Jesus put them all outside the house. Except for mom and dad. Three of his disciples. They went into the room where that little girl was. Her chest was still. Her little fingers already growing cold. Jesus took her by the hand. Talitha kumi. Little girl. Arise. And that little girl sat up and jumped out of bed. She's only asleep. That's what Jesus said. 
now this Easter morn. Look into the tomb with Peter. See the linens lying on the slab. And see them as they truly are. Sheets lying on an empty bed. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus had said, No one can take my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. For Jesus, death is but a sleep. He rises from death as if from sleep. And he raises others from death as if they were only sleeping. Now I say these things in full realization that I'm speaking to, well, rather strange people. I hope you're not offended by that, but you really are very strange. And I suppose I am too. Fear of death turns enlightened 21st century Americans into unwitting pagans. So terrified of death, we're willing to engage in the strangest rituals to ward it off. For example, we genuinely believe that if we don enough bright colored spandex and spend a few minutes each day spazzing out, death will be so frightened by our rich, I, I mean our workout <laughs> that it will be driven away like an evil spirit. Fear of death causes enlightened 21st century Americans to recreate medieval superstitions. By way of example, we too have come up with a list of deadly sins. You know, things like eating meat that isn't free-range, or vegetables that aren't organic. Look at you, sinner, defiling yourself with that donut, drinking that chemical-laden soda, coming out of that culinary brothel you call McDonald's. Good God, man, can you not feel death breathing down your neck? How strange the fear of death has made us in more ways than these. Do you know what Jesus asks? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? You see, it's an illusion that we're somehow in control. The truth is, whether you're wearing every last bit of spandex that you own, or actively avoiding corn syrup that very moment, or just finishing with your eighth hour of perfect sleep, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. We're not as in control as we think we are. At best, we're like a group of young kids at a slumber party all desperately trying to stay awake as long as possible. But sooner or later, we'll all be asleep. We may not go gently into that good night, but we will go. It's just a matter of time. We are quite right to be terrified of death. While death may seem like a natural end, God tells us that this is not how He created this world to be. He intended human beings to live forever. Death was not part of God's plan. 
Death is God's divine punishment upon those who ruined His plan. Look at a corpse. That'll take the poetry out of death. Death is a curse. Death is the Creator's no to you and to me. The finality of death is that the corrupt and sinful body is destroyed in the earth, and the corrupt and sinful soul is put into a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Next time you're at the doctor's office, ask for a copy of your charts. As you peruse them, you'll notice that there's not one mention, not one single word about what's actually killing you, about what's actually going to get you in the end. Sin. The wages of sin is death. If you had no sin, you would never die. Not lack of exercise, not improper diet, not lack of sleep. Sin is really your problem. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself from your sins. And absolutely nothing that you can do to save yourself from certain death. God has had compassion on us. And that is why God took human flesh. He had compassion on you and became as you are, without sin of His own, so that He might bear your sin and be your Savior. On the cross, He was made your sin for you. Everything you've ever been ashamed of, everything you've ever been guilty of, everything that has ever caused you rightly to fear God's judgment, All of it is there, nailed to the cross in His flesh. The Creator said no to Him when He hung from the cross so that He might say yes to you. Yes to you for all eternity. Yes, Jesus has taken all sin and guilt and shame away from you. Born your grief and carried your sorrows, the Scriptures say. It is not your sin anymore. It is His. And because He bears your sin, He also dies your death. That through death, He might destroy the power of death. And that is what He has done. That is why he could say to that little girl who died, she's only asleep. He has come to destroy the power of death. He has come to utterly transform death into a blessed sleep from which we can easily be awoken. He has come to transform the grave into a bed from which we may easily rise. Death could not hold Jesus. Death cannot hold those whom he calls forth. He says so himself. Hear his words. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the true power of Easter. And this is the reason why we are here. Without Jesus, of course you have everything to fear. Because no amount of leafy greens or exercise or sleep or medical science can save you. Only Jesus can. Without Him, you have everything to fear. But with Him, you have nothing to fear. In fact, that is one of the reasons why the world hates Christians. We cannot be bullied or controlled by death. The world's final and ultimate power, the very worst it can do to you, is death. And our Lord Jesus can undo that with a single word. Death is for us but a temporary sleep and a slumber that means going to be with Jesus in paradise until that day when He raises us in our bodies from the grave just as He is risen in His. This is why Peter, who looked into the tomb that very first Easter morn, later chose to die rather than to be silent about Christ. And for 2,000 years, it's been the same for countless martyrs. They no longer feared death, for they knew that their Lord will undo death with a single word. Rise. So look with Peter into the empty tomb. See the linens lying on the slab and see them as they truly are, sheets on an empty bed. Go to the cemetery. Look upon the countless graves and see them as they really are, beds ready to be emptied. Our Lord Jesus is risen, and our Lord Jesus is alive. Let us fear the grave as little as we fear our own beds. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Second sermon uh, is on Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25, which reads, For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever, that in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. 
and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the text that forms the basis of the sermon I delivered yesterday on Easter Sunday at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Dear Saints, today is the day of days. Now, secretly, I want to climb up on the top of my roof, take off my shirt, and wave it in the air wildly, and let everyone in town know what it is that is bringing me such joy. Problem is, if I did that, they'd probably call the police and a hook and ladder uh, truck to come and get me off my roof, which I think might be the only way I might be able to get down from there. So I fear that my joy and exuberance regarding today may go badly if I execute this plan. Just saying. But I want you, dear saints, to share the joy and the hope that I have this Easter morning. And in order to do that, we're going to need to step back for a minute. We're going to have to evaluate what just happened in light of where we are and where this is all heading. Now, if that sounds a little bit cryptic and kind of vague, I understand that. That'll change shortly and everything will come into focus. So give me just a few minutes to develop the thought here. So let me start by saying this. We all know that there's something terribly wrong with this world. And if you're honest with yourself, then you are woefully aware that you yourself, me included, that we're all part of the problem. We're not part of the solution. Now, for years, politicians, religious leaders, poets, people who sing songs, things like that, they have been, they've been leading the charge, the call for us to change the world. I remember growing up as a kid, hearing that wonderful commercial, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company, right? How weird. We can change the world by buying somebody a Coke. Didn't know that was possible. But see, that, but there's something that was compelling about that schmaltzy, hippie commercial. Why? Because in that commercial, you caught a glimpse. A glimpse of something that each and every one of us longs for and yearns for. Now, this has taken on many different forms in history. And if you think back to the 20th century and the two big political ideologies that wrecked Europe, communism and fascism, I want you to think for a second about really what these movements were about. They were nothing less than grand visions cast to the masses by quite forceful and charismatic leaders that promised to once and for all solve the problems of our world. But like the Tower of Babel, these projects were catastrophic failures. Not only did their dreamed-for utopian societies never emerge, the countries that adopted these ideologies were thrown into poverty and ruin, and countless millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, lost their lives in these grand, visionary, social and political experiments. Think about it. What were they promising? Once and for all, we're going to eliminate poverty. Once and for all, we're all going to be equal. There will not be the haves and the have-nots. We will all pool our resources together. We will become one big utopian brotherhood. And how'd that all work out? It didn't. Now, you can catch glimpses of this utopian vision in the late John Lennon's haunting song, Imagine. Now, Lucky for you, I will not sing this for you because it's Easter 
and I want you to be blessed. But let me read the lyrics. John Lennon, he wrote, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or to die for. Oh, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Now you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope that someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Ooh. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Now you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. And I hope that someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Boy, that song taps into something, doesn't it? Think about the societies we live in. Think about our plight as human beings. And I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about us. We are quite a wretched bunch. The other day I was on the iTunes app store for my iPad looking for an app. And I thought, well, I'll look at the yeah, that said top apps, top games. And I looked at the top games and I was struck by a fact that we have turned war and killing into games. What kind of species are we? Who does that? I can get a top score in the global leaderboard if I can rack up a huge body count. That's a game? Hmm. Something is terribly wrong. These ideologies that I mentioned, communism and fascism, they were doomed to failure. And there's a real simple reason why that's the case. Now, some people may say, well, at least they tried to make the world a better place. At least they tried. Ask the tens of millions of people who are not in graves, but whose bodies were stacked like cords of wood and thrown into pits by these ideologies, whether or not they were just trying to make the world a better place. Right? The reason why these ideologies failed is because God did not institute governments for the purpose of bringing the Garden of Eden back to this cursed planet. That's not why government exists. Read the book of Romans. Romans makes it clear. God instituted governments for one purpose, and that purpose is to punish evildoers. to keep us in check because we are a wicked lot. In other words, there will be no movement, no matter how grand, no matter how many poets and authors and politicians and religious leaders and popular singers get behind the movement, there will be no movement that will ever bring the Garden of Eden back here. Not one. So what is our hope? Well, we heard it in our texts this morning. And because Jesus has risen from the grave bodily, and oh yes, He did, 
we are sure that what these promises are will take place. We read the opening verses from 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and 20. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Look at that. As Christians, our hope is not in this life. If it were, we're to be pitied. Why? Because how many years have you got left? I have, well, one less year than I had a year ago. Five less than I had five years ago. And I don't know where the finish line is. Do you all know where your finish line is? I don't know where mine is. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, when we of all people are to be most pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And yes, He has. And listen to what it says about Jesus. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Colossians chapter 1 puts it this way, starting at verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things. In Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning He's the arche. That beginning is kind of a weird word here. You can almost say he's the pioneer, the trailblazer, and he's the firstborn from the dead so that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. There's many different ways that you can preach about Jesus' resurrection. One of the ways that you can preach about Jesus' resurrection is you can say by the fact that He rose bodily from the grave, it shows definitively that His sacrifice, His shed blood for us on the cross, was accepted by the Father as the sacrifice that redeems us and by which our sins are forgiven. This is absolutely true. This is a good way to preach Jesus' resurrection. Another way you can preach the resurrection is you can say by the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, it proved that He is who He claimed to be, none other than God in human flesh. And this is most certainly true also. But our epistle text and our Old Testament text show us the eschatological hope that we have as Christians because Jesus rose bodily from the grave. He is the firstborn of the new creation. The new creation has already begun. I want you to think of it this way. This current heavens and earth that we live in, it begins in the book of Genesis when God says, let there be light and there was light. And then God formed the earth, the stars, the sun, the moon, the vegetation, the, cr- the plants, the big animals, and the creepy crawly little things. The Hebrew there is actually kind of fun. It talks about the creepers. right? All you women love the creepers. Right? But the new creation doesn't begin with the creation of the earth, a new sun, a new moon, new stars. The new creation already has begun with Jesus Christ's resurrection from the grave. And those of you who are Christians who have been baptized, you have been buried with Christ in His death and you have been raised with Him in His resurrection. You are already dead and you are already alive. You've already got one foot in the new creation, and you still have another foot in the old. We kind of live in a paradox between two worlds, if you would, in the now and the not yet. And this is not symbolic. This is real, and it is true. 
And so now I would like to reread the Old Testament text and keep in mind John Lennon has nothing on this text because all he can do was imagine. But the prophet Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, isn't imagining. He's revealing what is coming, and it's true because of Christ. Isaiah writes, For behold, God speaking, I create new heavens and a new earth. And we sit there and say, Oh, please come quickly, whatever this is. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now, some of you hear this passage and you become anxious. And here's why you become anxious. Well, well, it says that the former things will not come to mind. Will I forget my loved ones? Will I not remember my children? No, that's not what this is saying. What it's talking about is the curse, the pain, the suffering, the death, the loss of family members, the loss of your own life, the loss of your health, the wages of your sin. Unfortunately, the wages of sin is death, but we seem to be on installment plans. You know, we're making payments every week, every year. It's like every time I go to the mirror, it's like I've been paying a little bit more to death. Can't wait for the balloon payment at the end, right? The former things shall not be remembered. They will not come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Well, this isn't describing today's Jerusalem. Today's Jerusalem, the peace is enforced at gunpoint. And even then, it's very tenuous. And there's a lot of distress. You think of the suicide bombers and the tensions between the Muslims and the Jews. And even the Christians have contributed to this tension. Jerusalem today is nothing like what this is describing. But no more shall there be in Jerusalem an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. The sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. I'm glad about that part right there. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but when the new heavens and new earth arrived, I'm out of a job. I'm out of a job. It says here that we'll plant vineyards. Any of you farmers here want to help me t- learn how to take care of plants and to farm? It might take me about a thousand years to get the hang of it. Be patient with me. Right? They shall plant vineyards. They will eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Boy, you think about this. We recently purchased a home. We recently purchased a home. And it's so funny. The previous owner was there for so long. He lived there from the time of the end of World War II until very recently. And everybody still calls that home by his last name. Oh, you live in such and such this house. Yeah, I do. Sad though, isn't it? But in the new earth, everybody will refer to your home as your home, not that other person's home. Because you will build it and it will never be inhabited by somebody else. Actually, Christ is the one who builds it. But that's another text, right? 
to build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. Got some really old trees in my yard. Hmm. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. They shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Even the animal kingdom is going to be different. Listen to this. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Now, wolves currently don't mind grazing with lambs. Lambs get a little skittish about this arrangement because generally the wolves like to graze on the lambs, right? But things are going to change. And then we learn this, all right? The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. I hear about vegetarian plant-eating herbivore lions, and I worry about my oldest daughter because I fear that she's going to have five or six of these for pets. See, this is not an imagination song. This is a promise. This is a promise. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountains, says the Lord. Christ Himself says it this way in Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And oh, I can't wait till that day. No more atheists and their silly games. Because they all know that God exists. They just suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But the day is coming when we will no longer walk by faith, but we will walk by sight. We will see our crucified and risen Savior face to face. We will become very familiar with the scars in His hands and His feet. We'll know exactly what color His eyes are or how He keeps His hair. And because He is our King, there will never be a time when we have to languish through an awful election season. Never again will we have to read in our newspapers reports about what lousy persons our politicians are and what a complete letdown they've been. Never again. Never again. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. God Himself will be them with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And here's the best part. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things. They have passed away. They have died. And God has raised the new heavens and new earth like He's raised our bodies from the grave. And Jesus Himself says this, the One who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And we know this is true because the grave is empty. Death could not hold Him. Death could not hold Him and He conquered death. And because you have been baptized into His death and His resurrection, you too are victorious because you are in Christ. Now, I'm not much of a songwriter, but think of it this way. Imagine a world where there is no death, where there is no mourning or crying. It's easy if you think about it. 
No pain, and the former things have passed away. Where in the new Jerusalem, even the animal kingdom is different. Now some may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Because Christ has promised a new world is coming, and He's the only one who can bring it. And He's promised to. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. And it changes everything. The new world's coming. Count on it. God never makes a promise and doesn't follow through. And you who are in Him, you will rejoice and see Him face to face. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, who I carry his death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.